Hi, welcome all of you. My name is Josh Becker, CEO of Lex Machina. We have a huge turnout today and we're I know, joining uh, every minute here uh, for our last webcast of the year, our last Future of Law webcast, this one on demystifying AI, what's hype, what's real, and what lies in the future. Successful law firms invest more than others in legal technology that helps them win, and today artificial intelligence is one of the most popular or common buzzwords in the legal tech space. I saw something on Above the Law yesterday that was saying, um, you know, was it, was it the, the words of the year or, or such, but certainly uh, you hear a lot about it. So today we're going to really dive into what can AI really do for lawyers? What are some of the different uses of AI today? How do they impact legal practice? And what can we expect uh, going forward? To um, discuss that with me today and with all of you, we'll obviously have time for Q&A at the end as always. We're very fortunate uh, in our panel. I'm very excited to introduce my friend Dan Katz. When I first started on this journey uh, six plus years ago here at Lex Machina, Dan was one of the people I was tremendous looked up to and um, was, you know, uh, way back then and when and even then and before then has been carrying the banner for the future of law. And um, so it's just terrific to have him on here. He teaches legal analytics, e-discovery, legal project management, legal process, proven and more at Chicago Kent Law School, and has made it his mission to teach law students how to leverage technology and entrepreneurship in their future legal careers. He's a scientist, technologist, and law professor who applies an innovative, polytechnic approach to teaching law to help create lawyers for today's biggest societal challenges. He has many awards and acknowledgments uh, over the year, including from the ABA um, as their 2013 class of legal rebels, which he very much is. It's a prestigious group of change leaders in the legal profession. Also very fortunate to have Jeff Reel on today. I've had the great privilege to get to know Jeff over the last few years. He is EVP and Chief Technology Officer of LexisNexis. As such, he runs a large global uh, team and is responsible for global technology strategy, obviously including uh, AI in these areas as well, um, bringing the company's applications, product platforms, and business systems to help legal professionals work more effectively and efficiently and achieve better outcomes for their business businesses and their clients. Before that, he had a number of other roles at Lexis, He's got a bachelor's degree in computer science and a master's degree in computer science, the latter from Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. So welcome, both of you. It's great being so here today, Jack. Thank you. Yes. Thanks for having us. Good. So we'd like to start out with a bit of an introduction. What we're trying to do is demystify AI, see what's happening and what is still to come, how it will impact our profession, how can we prepare for what's coming, as we mentioned, there's a lot of hype out there, so we're trying to talk today about what's real now. Um, then we can get to the future stuff at the, at the end if we have time. Um, so what is AI? Uh, Jeff, you had a, a good slide, so we'll try to see if we can bring that one up uh, here, and then maybe you can uh, talk to that. Hoping that all of you can, can see that. Jeff, why don't you go ahead? Sure. <laughs> yeah, we... we as, as you mentioned, Josh, there is a lot of hype and a lot of noise out there, and I think there's a lot of confusion as well. And so we have a lot of our customers come to us and they ask us, so what is this? How does it really work exactly what we're doing here on this call today? And, and so we, we pull together this slide that, that we use with our customers and, and you know, really speaks to at least the way that we think about uh, some of the definitions of AI uh, terminology like machine learning which really helps go through large amounts of data. 
diverse sets of data, and it really, the intent is to identify patterns and relationships in that data. And, you know, one of the things that uh, we're finding today is, you know, a lot of this technology was around a number of years ago, but uh, the compute power is available today, so it, it's really bringing uh, this, rea this to reality, and that's why I think we're, we're hearing more and more about it. Uh, natural language processing is another term, or NLP is another term that a lot of people talk about, and, and that's the ability for an IT system to understand natural language speaking. And it uh, can translate uh, your voice itself, or if you type in a natural language query, uh, for example, into Google, uh, it can interpret that, that query and understand its meaning and the intent of the query as opposed to in the past when you used to just type in words and it would do a search against a search engine uh, looking for those words within a text document. There's also this concept of deep learning and it uses a set of technologies known as and methods known as neural networks or uh, artificial neural networks and, and artificial neural networks are really modeled after your brain. And it's based on a collection of connected nodes called artificial neurons. And as data passes through those neurons, the strength of those connections help to determine patterns and relationships in the data. And again, this is an example where a lot of data really does help. And the concept of deep learning is that you have multiple layers of these networks. And just as a simple example, if, you, if uh, our neural networks are used a lot in image processing, uh, really understanding an image. So if you see, if the computer sees an image, uh, the first layer of the network might identify that it looks like there's some kind of object in the image that looks like an animal. The next layer might say it, it looks like a dog. Uh, the next layer might actually come out and say it is actually a cocker spaniel. So it, it uh, has a deeper, deeper learning uh, that it goes through each of these different layers of neural networks. Uh, and then there's advanced interfaces that are out there. We hear a lot about chatbots. We know about Amazon Echo, the ability to take uh, your voice, recognize, translate that into natural language, and, and then act upon it. And so you're seeing a lot of new technologies coming out in, in that area as well. So that, that's the way we kind of think about uh, some of the definitions of AI, and, and we apply those in, in, in the legal domain uh, within our business. Excellent. Very helpful and a crisp explanation of these complex, uh, you know, terms. Before we get into how are these technologies used today or some of the ways they're used today, Dan, do you have any uh, kind of comments on these definitions or how do you, any other ways that you sort of kind of explain this stuff to people? Well, I would say that, uh, first of all, all of them can be used in concert with one another. So a lot of solutions you'll see in the market is some combination of the set of things listed here. Um, so that that's just worth noting kind of at the outset. I'd, I'd also just say kind of if this is uh, even within these, obviously there's a bunch of subtopics that, I mean, these are very broad areas of uh, with lots of stuff that happens underneath them. But um, I think these are the kind of tools and then there's the tasks. And so the task would be do things like predict stuff, find things, um, and you can do kind of strong predictions like and light and light predictions and I'd say a strong predictions like you know I or a light prediction just to start perhaps would be what are the trends in some area and that's kind of like a prediction but it causes or allows an expert to make a prediction a strong prediction 
in this context would be I'm going to trade stocks based on a model that I've developed, and I'm going to, I'm going to do that in the future. Um, and so I'm going to take a model I've developed and deploy it going forward. And so in, in like in law, that would be I'm going, to use some, I'm going to use this set of data to predict what's going to happen in this case in the future versus what are the trends in a particular area of litigation, which is also a useful form of insight but not quite the same. And so to do all of those things, you would use some combination of machine learning and NLP in particular. You might use deep learning. And to make it serviceable by a person, you might say, let's put an interface in front of it because the user might say, just they want to ask Amazon, um, they want to ask Alexa what's going to happen in this area or something like that. So anyway, I don't know if that's helpful, but just you, just thinking about how you can put those things together to make to solve a problem. Yeah, that is helpful. I think that gets us into the next question. But you know, it's funny you mentioned that these things can be used in in concert um, because um, yeah, we had a board member for long, he would always refer to MLP. And we never knew if he was like saying, hey, you guys really do, as, in terms of what we do at Lex Mach, and I never knew if he meant like you guys do both or if he just was really confused about the terms. Instead of using NLP <laughs> and machine learning, he would just, he would always say, you're MLP. And I was like, I never, we never quite, you know, Carl and I would always look at each other and be like, what does he know what we're talking about? Um, and it's always kind of amusing. So um, so let, let's get into that a little bit. So I thought that was interesting. So you, you sort of made the differentiation between, did you call it light prediction? What was the first um, or trend spotting or something like that. Yeah, that's the kind of lighter thing, but it's useful. You know, sometimes telling somebody what the average is like very useful if they don't know the average, but it's not, you could, you wouldn't want to just use that on a, as the basis of a prediction. It'd be a starting point at least. Yes. And we'll get to the, we, we call it the, the P word of predictive analytics. So we, we're, we're always <laughs> pretty sensitive about here, but um but I, but I like the differentiation, right? There's sort of a part of this is, is just mining lots and lots of data that um, maybe previously attorneys never had, A, had access to, or B, you know, no human could process, you know, all 1,500 cases in front of Judge Stark of this type, you know. Um, right. And so part of it is just mining those 1,500 cases to glean any insights that we can get or really trends. And then the second piece is, of that is sort of the strong prediction um, stuff that you talked about. Um, so along these, what are other cool use cases that, that you see of these kinds of technologies, Dan? Well, um, I guess we'll stay, um, we'll stay in, if you stayed in litigation or the side of the house for a moment, you'd say, well, the client wants to know two things, what's going to happen and how much is it going to cost? So I, I mm -hmm. think, uh, being able to forecast, you know, how long will this take, how much expense will it have, and kind of what is likely to happen. Those are three Those are three predictions. And with any prediction, you'd like to say, well, here's our prediction, and here's how much, you know, variation we might have vis-a-vis -vis that prediction. Because, you know, you might say it's going to be $100,000 or a million dollars, but you'd like to say, you know, plus or minus some amount um, because the data would sort of tell us that, but it wouldn't be wouldn't be, you know, your, your specific estimate might have some variation associated with, but at least you could give people a ballpark number. Those are three things. And then if you, just to take one step outside of the litigation sphere, you might say people, people are looking, say, in due diligence to find documents of particular types and characterize them, like go into a contract and find the change of control clause. Or in discovery, you think, well, go find, go sift through a million emails and find the small subset of those that are relevant to this case. So those are those are all all of those processes are could be done by humans. You could go document by document and have people read them all. But 
for various reasons, mostly economic, it's just not reasonable, cost-effective to just use humans for the problem. So we've used technology of various forms, including artificial intelligence, yeah, mostly machine learning. Yeah, I think it is a good use case. Not surprisingly, in our we just wrapped up our, our second legal tech accelerator, and a lot of the companies were AI in one form or another, but one is one called Contract Wranglers is doing sort of along the lines of what you discussed, right? So it's mining through documents that are, you know, traditionally are, you know, were used to be shoved in a drawer or now, you know, some file system somewhere to surface those kind of terms that are, come, you know, this, this, this contract's coming up for renewal. Do you want to renew? Or this term, you know, is about to expire or something like that, right? So exactly that use case. And then your other part I like, so what's, you know, and that, those are the key questions people want to know. What's going to happen? How much is it going to cost? Um, and what's the third, your third there? How, how long is it going to take? You know, when is it, right. what's the timeline on this? Um, those are, I mean, those are like the first three questions. If you can answer those for the clients, obviously they're, they love you. So <laughs> that, yeah. it's, always, it's not always easy to provide. I think you can give them an answer at some level. The more you could support that with data, I think the stronger it is just from a presentation standpoint at a minimum. Yeah. No, and I think we see that here. Those are some of the core use cases at Lex Machina that we hear from our attorneys. They're using uh, the data to sometimes to win win business in, in the case of pitches where they're able to say to the corporate clients, hey, you were just sued in you know, this kind of case in, in front of this judge, you know, um, you know, an hour. You know, here's what the data shows, um, and then you know, also use that data to, to to win cases too. And but some of that still, I, I always felt like that that bang for the buck thing is sort of the holy grail that's a bit still out there. Um, but that's very helpful, Jeff. Why don't you? Do you want to talk through? You have you have a slide here on on some of this stuff. Right, right, right. So um, you know, the way that that we think about this is is an ever-increasing set of technologies and capabilities, uh, and we use the staircase as, as one way of describing it. And, and if you start at the bottom with full-text search, uh, we're all very familiar with that, right? We've been using it for many years, whether it's uh, a, a legal research product or Google, uh, Yahoo. Uh, but you'd be amazed at how much AI technology is actually in the search process because the search engine uh, does use tech, uh, natural language processing and machine learning to help improve search relevance. So, for example, we use an algorithm called Learning to Rank uh, as part of our, our uh, search. And that actually helps to re-rank the search results based on prior use of documents in similar types of searches. So even though it may seem pretty straightforward and simple and we've been using it for a long time, we are using the, those AI technologies uh, in, in full-text search. Uh, semantic search is kind of the next level up where it's actually interpreting uh, the meaning of the query. So as I mentioned earlier, letting users type in natural language query and have the system interpret what they're doing within the context of the work that they're doing or through personalization that we know, for example, an attorney uh, is uh, in California, we can automatically give search results specific to uh, his or her jurisdiction. Uh, as you go up the staircase, data visualization. With the massive amount of data that we're all uh, getting on a daily basis, particularly in the legal profession, how do you make heads or tails of it? And if you perform a search and you get 10,000 results, what are you really going to do with that? So with data visualization, you can present that data in different ways. You can summarize it, 
Uh, you can present it in charts and graphs, scatter plots, and uh, even better, you can start interacting with that. And so you can start doing what-if statements and, and really try to figure out uh, and play with the data and interact in a, in a very different way than just looking at search results and cases and legislative materials from a search result. Uh, the next tier up is analytics, and we've been talking a bit about that. And, you know, the way that we think about it uh, is the discovery, interpretation, and communication of meaningful patterns within data. And in legal research, discovery is a big challenge because a lot of the, the data that we deal with is free-form text, uh, like cases, uh, dockets, legislative materials. So the first thing we have to do is go through that, uh, all of that tech, free-form text and those documents using natural language processing, we can identify the judges, the, uh, the attorneys, the courts, the companies, the settlement amounts. And then once you have all of that, then you can start performing some of the analytics that uh, uh, Josh, you and Dan were both talking about. You know, how long uh, will this case last? Uh, you can ask questions like how opposing counsel has performed in similar cases in front of a specific judge. Uh, how has the judge ruled in different uh, or similar cases to yours, uh, and what have past settlements been, and when should I settle, and what are the range of settlement amounts in these particular cases. So these types of analytics are what we describe or talk about as descriptive analytics. They're describing things that have happened in the past, but the ability to summarize and present that data in different ways is, is, is very important. And then before, uh, Dan was talking about predictive analytics, and that's really going to the next step. So based on a lot of this data, how do you predict outcomes? Uh, an example of one of our products uh, that we offer is called Legislative Outlook, and what it does is it predicts the probability that a bill going through the legislative process will become a law, which is obviously very critical for companies to understand if a bill going through uh, Congress is going to negatively or positively impact them, and they can use their lobbying dollars the way that they think may make the most sense. And then when you get to the top, uh, it's probably the most sophisticated and, and complicated the technology is really what we call cognitive computing and the machine learning we were talking about before. And, uh, you know, this is where it takes and, and it combines a lot of these other technologies because it does have natural language processing to really understand the types of questions that uh, uh, the end user may be asking. And what's very interesting about these systems is that they improve over time. So with more data and more end-user interaction, uh, these systems can learn and now provide better results as usage uh, and as more data comes in. Uh, and an example of, of how we use these types of technologies are, you know, we can actually allow the user to ask a question like, what are the elements of negligence? And based on that, not only can we find the best answer within millions of different documents, but based on understanding the user, we can go a bit further. If we know that that user, again, is in California, we can give the legal definition of or the elements of negligence for the state of California. And so very sophisticated technology, which allows you to answer the types of questions that a, a typical uh, basic search engine could never, could never answer in the past. Those are just some of the examples that, that we have. Cool. Yeah, that's great. I think the more we can make this hopefully concrete for folks, the better. And I think, Dan, to your point, you know, there are some folks who really want to dive into it. We, um, you know, see some firms hiring data scientists, and which we can talk about later. I, I know one partner at a law firm who actually 
um, an amazing law firm. Actually, went back to school and got a data science degree because he's like, "I'm so into it." But many do not. You know, many just want to be. They just want the answers, right? But many people are like, "Great, just you know, I, I want to, you know, help me find what I'm looking for, right?" So to your sort of predict stuff and find things. Um, what do you? I mean, obviously, I would love to hear more about how you're training lawyers of the future. Um, well, maybe two things. So, you know, how are you training lawyers of the future in your classes? To understand these technologies, and then what recommendations do you have for um, those on the call, maybe who are already out of school, uh, but are interested in sort of learning more about this stuff? Um, you know, what what advice sort of do you have for them? Well, maybe I'd start. So I uh, just talking about what we're doing here at. Uh, so I teach at Chicago Kent um, uh, College of Law. We're here in downtown Chicago. Uh, right by the Sears Tower, so stop in sometime if you want to say hi. Uh, but we're we're the law school of Illinois Institute of Technology, so that that is a very strong thrust of what we're doing at the law school here, and it's part of my first job was at Michigan State. Part of why I came here to uh, to Illinois Tech to Chicago Ken was because of this sort of um, longstanding interest in the in technology, broadly stated, vis-a-vis uh, -vis law. Um, some of the classes we're teaching, I mean, we're, we're looking for competitive edge for our students. And when we look out in the marketplace, we think that, you know, basic technology competency, that's one thing we think is helpful. We think that, you know, people that are good project managers and understand process better are going to be able to more effectively serve their clients. And so we teach a class on process improvement um, and legal project management. Um, it's taught with Kim Crump, who's at Cyborg Shaw. Is noted, um, you know, well-known firm for those those particular topics. Uh, I teach us a series of um, analytics classes, starting with basically what's an average, all the way up through into machine learning over a one-year sequence. And the idea is to try to give people a strong foundation so they can continue to teach themselves. There's no way to give somebody a full diet of all of these things in a very short period of time. What I would say to practicing lawyers on the phone or people who are running Law firms is, you know, you don't necessarily have to be able to do all these things. You have to see how they fit into the broader symphony. And if you need a, if you need a cello player, go find a cello player. And I think that that's our theory here is that we're trying to create lawyers that have these other, these other sort of, uh, I don't know, special skills, let's say, that we think are going to be useful. And I'm happy to say more about the ways in which they might be useful, but I, I think that's our, that's our theory of the case. And we're seeing, as you mentioned, Josh, a number of firms that have interest in trying to find some folks with this type of background. And I, I think because it solves business problems uh, for their clients, um, for people who are currently practicing, again, you can either get folks around you who can help fill some of this void. If, if to the extent you perceive that there's a void, I think there, there is. And there's, there's actually, it's never been easier in some ways to learn about some of this stuff, given the amount of, I mean, the amount of online resources to support, people's knowledge in this area, I'd be happy to talk to anybody if they want to message me directly about some stuff that they could do to learn more about this. But anyway, those are just some thoughts about the topic. Good. Good. Well, that's that's very helpful. And maybe, again, towards the end, we can come around to that in the Q&A. If, if people would like Ian's information, you know, let us know. Since since you just put it out there, we can uh, take advantage of that. But I do Fine. want to, you know, commend you, I do want to commend you, Dan. You're, you've been a pioneer in this area. Now we kind of finally start to see a broad number of law schools in recent years start to take on some of these classes. Um, yep. But you've been a pioneer now for many years. It's still a minority, but it's growing. It is growing. Um, 
probably yeah. two dozen at least law schools now. Yes, slowly but surely. But uh, you've been a pioneer and a leader, and it's been tremendous. One thing I want to make sure we covered, we'll probably open up for Q&A in around five minutes, so you can start typing in questions, and we'll, and we'll um, work to, to get them in. One, one thing I want to say is what, what can AI not do? You know, there's sort of the, a lot of hype around the robot lawyer. I mean, the press loves – it's just a topic press loves to write about. And like I said, I mean, we've sort of tried to stay out of that, right? We've said, like, we're – you know, here at Lex Mach, you know, you know we're about um, – serving up information to lawyers to help them just drive data-driven decisions. That's why we really talk about it. Less in the sense of predictive analytics, more data-driven decisions, right? So we're mining all this data for you to tee up these trends, as you say, or treat these data points, and then people can make data-driven decisions. Um, but, um, uh, but, you know, again, there's still a, a lot of hype around, you know, robot lawyers and such. So why don't we, I think, Jeff, you have one last slide here. Maybe you can talk to that first. Sure, and and the way you described it there, Josh, is exactly why uh, Lex Machina is part of LexisNexis today, because that's absolutely in line with with our thinking. Is, you know, we we don't envision AI in any way, you know, or other technologies replacing lawyers, but we do see uh, AI and data analytics and other technologies and tools to, they're really to help the productivity. Uh, that and the effectiveness of of our end users and lawyers. And so um, we continue to see lawyers and, and firms, you know, performing very complex legal tasks, require human skills, human interaction with your customers and your clients. What we do see AI doing is automating some certain functions that are repetitive, they're high-volume tasks, uh, low-value, uh, so that attorneys can focus more on the high-value strategic work. And so that's really what our intent is, and that, that's where we see that going. And, and a lot of our tools, as you saw a little earlier on the prior slide, uh, are really focused on enabling uh, the attorneys to make better decisions. Uh, we do not draw conclusions. We don't tell you how to do your job. What we do is arm you with the information that you need that uh, you can be more efficient and then also make better decisions uh, as Josh was mentioning before. So that, that's where we're going, um, and uh, I think it's a very exciting time because, again, with all the, the different data sets and, and content that's out there, uh, there's a lot more that can be done to simplify the legal research uh, effort that has you know, historically been search a big database, look through 200 cases to find all the information you need. There's better ways to do that now. Sorry, we're, I don't mute there. We're starting to get some good questions in. We're starting to get, um, but I wanted to cover one other topic first. So that was very good, Jeff, to sort of, I think, kind of level set where we are today. Um, but are you guys, either of you, uh, willing to venture some guesses for the future you know, where this is, is going? If not full robot lawyers, where, um, what are some innovations that we will likely to see in the next two to four years or beyond that? Dan, you want to start? Sure. I would just say one thing about it's tricky with all these problems to say what the labor market effects are likely to be. I think if I could just maybe slightly repackage uh, uh, Jeff's take a, a little bit is it's going to replace certain types of lawyer tasks. The question is whether there's substitute tasks to fill the total amount of work being done today. Um, so an individual lawyer might be able to move up into higher value work 
But the question I think that people are thinking is, what does it mean for the total number of lawyers that we currently have working? It, that, I think that's a different thing than saying a given lawyer may be able to slide up or down or reconfigure the set of tasks that they're doing. I think the skill, if you look at other fields where we've already had a lot more automation and a lot more structuring of information than this field has had, say like finance, there's lots of people that work in finance, in finance, but the skill set has changed quite a bit over the last three decades. And so I think that's a, not a bad um, overlay to what lawyers do, like highly compensated professionals that basically are using their, their expertise together with some, sort, some sorts of information and technology systems. And there, I think, it, it wasn't neutral in the labor market. Certainly for people who had certain skill sets and couldn't adapt, it was not a completely neutral exercise. So I, I do feel like I should say that, and, and that sort of thing looks a little into the future. So I think the if you look at litigation, um, you would say trying to develop systems that eliminate the problems in the first place or learn from the problems we've had and backfeed those into monitoring systems that try to eliminate some but not all of the problems that we experience. I think that's the... You know, that's a big, that's probably the biggest and hardest problem in, in law is kind of, um, Ron, a guy named Ron Friedman, some of you may know, says do less law. But the idea is to try to solve for the problems that lawyers are currently the solution. And in litigation, we're often solving something that's already gone wrong and trying to clean it up. But the question is, what, what of this could have been avoided? And then on the transactional side, I mean, I do think blockchain technology Internet of contracts, some people are calling it. Removing transactional frictions that currently exist is not going to be neutral for lawyers because lawyers and accountants make tremendous amounts of money off of the existence of these frictions. And so I don't think that that's neutral either. Now, that doesn't mean that I think people can find other places in the value, on the value chain, but I, I do think that this is not, I mean, maybe I'm the pessimist here, I don't think this is a neutral exercise, what we're going through. The question for every person on this call and more broadly is how can you leverage these trends as they play out to position yourself for success and future-proof yourself? I think that's – and your organizations. I think that's the challenge, and I think there's lots of opportunities associated with it, but it's not a neutral exercise. Okay, that's – so I'll get off my soapbox now. No, that's helpful. And it yeah, and, and, a few Sorry, go on, Jeff. No, I, w I was just going to add some thoughts, but go ahead, Josh. Oh, yeah. Well, I was saying that responds actually to a few of the comments we got um, that are starting to come in, um, you know, and some saying, well, you know, isn't it naive to believe that AI will not devalue the, some work of attorneys? And I think, Dan, you, you addressed that to some degree. Uh, a couple other comments on Suskind's observations and um, whether you whether our, our panel has any comments about his observations of future law in an AI world. Um, and sort of how far he goes. Um, and, well, when we take that for a moment, and Jeff, maybe you were going to respond as well. And, and, he, and, he, uh, and Dan, I'm sure you probably know Richard. I don't, I've actually not met him. Of course, I read his, his work. Any, any, any thoughts on that from either of you? Oh, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. In, in terms of, you know, I, I agree with Dan that, you know, ultimately this is going to replace, uh, you know, different types of tasks. And, uh, you know, because a lot of that can be automated. So Dan gave an example earlier uh, in the due diligence process where you can automate a lot of the contract review. 
And so we are going to see certain types of tasks like that, but uh, again, you know, positioning yourself to have a role uh, in the future and how do you leverage these technologies uh, to, you know, become more, more effective in your role within your firm. So I, I definitely agree, uh, you know, with what, what Dan was saying. Good. We're starting to get some other questions about asking for some specific ways law firm, law departments, and government agencies are already utilizing AI. And there was one also about judge bias. That one there. I don't see it on the screen right now. I'll, maybe we can come back to that. Um, I think we did try. You know, we tackled this in, in, in some ways. Again, uh, the way we think about it here in Lex Machina is win the you know get the case, win the case. So. For us in the litigation world, it's about helping people use data to win business um, from companies. On the flip side, companies then use data to uh, analyze law firms. So they're trying to figure out, great, who's got the, you know, who, who's got the uh, most experience in front of this judge in these kinds of cases, et cetera. And they can look at the client list now and make some judgments themselves about who they might want to work with. So there's sort of that data and that piece in pitching business and evaluating on the flip side, evaluating law firms. And then there's win the case, which is when the companies and law firms are working together using data to figure out what's the right strategy for this judge. A, do I want to be in front of this judge in the first place? Would I rather be somewhere else? Do I want to try to transfer? Um, then let me see 10, you know, 10 transfer motions, last 10 motions of this type that have succeeded in front of this judge and the last 10 transfer motions that were denied by this judge. Um, and then I can um, you know, hopefully use that to most effectively uh, win my transfer motion, and then so on and so forth to uh, go on and, and, and win the case. So those are some examples that, that we see here, and I think there are some other specifics that were given around contract review um, and some other areas. Uh, someone did write, where should I look to learn more about AI? What resources are reliable? Dan, you addressed this a little bit. Any thoughts there? Dan? Do we lose Dan? Sorry, I was on mute. I was on mute. My apologies. Okay. Uh, uh, AI, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, AI in general, I, would, I mean, there's, there's quite a bit. There's the American Association for Advancement in Artificial Intelligence. I can't quite remember the acronym. They have a bunch of stuff on their website that's pretty useful. Um, there's a range of technical introductions and sort of simple introductions. Uh, I have a, personally a large number of slide decks that I put together and course materials, starting with for my classes, which you can find online, just Google my name, and and um, you can find. Uh, but there's there's actually you know there's also courses that you can sit in for free online from a bunch of great universities that if you want to really learn quite a bit more about it. But um, I, I did want to say one other thing that was in I think it's in the New York Times today talking about explanation in artificial intelligence, and I, this is a challenge in the field, which is we have systems that at times have difficulty explaining the basis of their explanation. It's particularly a challenge with neural nets, historically speaking. And to the extent that we're going to make a decision, it's challenging sometimes if you can't articulate the basis for your explanation. And it's, that one place has come up like in bail, so keep giving, you know, whether to give people bail or not based on an algorithm, for example. It's worth just putting that out there, I think, for a moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that is good. I did see that. Um, also, people want to email me, jbecker at lexmachina.com. There's some resources I could send. And actually, Jeff Pfeiffer, who's uh, kind of a lead 
product, um, kind of leader product at Lexis to came up with a good kind of glossary of terms piece recently that, that, that I could send around uh, if folks are interested. Um, the, a lot of other questions, just see what we can uh, get here in the, the, the time frame. There's a question about what do we see out there for transactional lawyers. Dan, you talked a little bit of this around contracts and blockchain. Any other thoughts on that around co the transactional lawyers? Well, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a set of first generation stuff. Is it's it actually parallels a lot of what like that that stairs that stair step that uh, that Jeff had put together. I mean, there's a lot of you know, if you think about a deal, like just find information, like find the change of control clause and characterize it, find the assignment clause and characterize it. So that'd be like a classic thing in M&A uh, or in diligence more generally. Then people are interested in kind of second level stuff, which is what, and this is reflected in things like playbooks, like what's our first position? What's our second best position? We've negotiated in front of this person before. What their, what's the... You know, where do we think that they'll land on this particular provision? So a lot of people are interested in that, and that requires better mining of your deal documents and your markups of your deal documents. There are a number of companies in that space trying to do that type of work. It parallels a lot of this, what will the judge do? Well, what In this case, it's what is the counterparty going to do? But there's a lot of similarities to it, if that's helpful. That's, there's, I could say quite a bit more about it. But. And, and there are tools out there that will look for uh, conflicts within contracts. If uh, there's a set of mm -hmm. phrases in one paragraph and another set of phrases in a different paragraph that contradict each other or aren't comprehensive or complete. So I, I think there's a lot of tools that are coming out in, in this area. Uh, you know, how do uh, the phrases in the contract, you know, compare to my approved, you know, phrases? And so mm -hmm. a lot of that, again, I think will simplify and help uh, the you know, accelerate the contract review process. And and, and just and deals, yeah, yeah, like all, the whole deal, right? I mean, the whole deal is like a lot of it's just information management problems, especially these large large deals. It's just people are swimming in information they can't that's unstructured, and they need a way to structure it somehow. I mean, there there are very yeah. simple examples out there. If you're a large corporation, you have thousands of contracts that you're maintaining, and and how do you keep track right. of when those contracts expire and and what the exactly. what, what your responsibilities are under the contracts? It's impossible. You can have these tools summarize all of that for you and highlight the areas where uh, you've got a contract that's up for renewal or is going to expire, and and you got to do something about it. You know, it's almost impossible to to manage that uh, manually. So there's there's a lot of That's great right. tools coming out to help that kind of process as well. People say stuff like you know, hey, there's a there's been a geopolitical event in X country. How much exposure do we have? Let's look at our agreements to see you know what type of you know can we get out of those agreements? What what exposure do we have? There's been a change in a currency somewhere. What how much exposure do we have to currencies that are denom you know to contracts that are denominated in these currencies? Anyway, there's a million of these types of problems. Brexit actually was an example where we saw a lot of people trying to figure out what it meant, right? Yeah, uh, you know, a certain company you do business with gets acquired by another company that you're a competitor with, uh, you know, all yep. kinds of things like that. Good. And I mentioned Contract Wrangler earlier. Also, Law Geeks is a good one that's helping people also look for, you know, kind of clauses and common documents and do that kind of uh, document 
work more um, quickly and efficiently that, that might help answer that question well, as well. I'll put in a small plug if I can for my own company, LexPredict, we've built a, an open source solution similar to the to those other things in the market like LogGeeks and and uh, tier systems and what have you called, uh, it's called Contract Suite, and you can find it on GitHub. Uh, the code base is there, but it's, it does a lot of those same things. It's a set of tools that allow people to do these types of tasks. So, uh, well, that's perfect. But, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in the market. That's good. It's perfect. You and I need to sync up because I hadn't heard about that specifically. I know that you're doing a lot of cool stuff, but actually does, someone did ask specifically about open source tools available to customize for in-house uh, lawyers, and so it sounds like Contract Suite would be perfect for that. Yep, it's uh, you can uh, go to Contract Suite. It's C O N T R A X ContractSuite.com and check it out. Go to GitHub, and check it out. Cool. Um, just before we wrap up in a few minutes, you did mention your contact info. People want to reach out to you. What's the the best way? Actually, we do have a uh, on the final slide here, so we'll uh, that oh, may good. have back info. Okay, email's on there. Good, so people will have that. A um, couple wrap up. A few other questions. Someone asked about emerging markets. Does that represent a different type of challenge for Alex Machina technology specifically? And the answer is we're very focused on uh, U.S. law. We still have a lot to do. We actually done a lot this year. So we started out in IP, as many folks know, and then. Um, moved into securities and antitrust last year. This year we've launched we've, some areas we've been working on for a long, long time, commercial uh, employment, product liability, bankruptcy, um, but still a long way. And we'll hopefully do our first state this year, state court, but a long way to go in the U.S. before we, we tackle emerging markets. Although I do hope to get there at some point. Um, a couple questions that I thought really interesting. One is, do we see AI as an empowerment tool for the public in addition to, um, you know, being helpful to law firms and, and companies? Um, and another asking, you know, can AI help identify trends that show a judge's bias um, or trends that, you know, of the same actors across cases? So I, I do think it can be an empowerment tool for sure. Lex Machina was actually started as a public interest project at Stanford Law School for three years for this exact reason, to provide openness and transparency to the law. And we're fundamental belief, we have a fundamental belief that the more, more transparency and better data, more transparency leads to more justice, increased justice. So I think absolutely once that this data gets out there more and more and more areas of the law, that it can be an empowerment tool to give people more visibility into what's actually happening in our legal system. In terms of and you can certainly track the same actors across cases. That's a, a fundamental use case of our technology and, and um, of legal analytics, I believe. Uh, in terms of showing judge biases, I don't know if you could say a, a bias particular, but what data can do for sure is show if a judge is an outlier compared to his or her peers in certain areas. And once that judge is identified as a clear outlier in certain areas, then it's it's certainly fair to ask, you know, are there biases involved and to dig uh, more deeply um, into that. So a couple thoughts and, and uh, of mine on, on, on those topics. Do you, any of you guys want to uh, wrap up on that topic of AI as an empowerment tool for the public or other quick comments? We've got one minute left. Any quick final comments? 
You know, one one thing we haven't really talked a bit about that we're exploring within LexisNexis is the whole inter, interface aspect of it, uh, chatbots and the ability to assist yeah. in the legal process. So if you can actually interact with the system and it can help guide your research, uh, you know, that's that's an area that, that we're looking at and we've, we've uh, got some of that in front of some of our customers just to get some feedback. And, uh, you know, before I, I mentioned uh, Alexa uh, or the Amazon Echo, and we've got examples where we've given Alexa a legal skill that can actually answer legal questions, can report the recent legal news, uh, and it's, it's pretty fascinating to see how well uh, Alexa can actually interpret and, you know, with our technology behind the scenes, actually really answer those questions. And again, that's something that we have out there as a, a separate interface, but um, I was at the Amazon AWS conference uh, last week, and they're talking about putting Alexa into cars where you can imagine a lawyer going into uh, the office and really talking to his car about getting access to a particular case and have that uh, ready for him in his email or her email uh, when they get to the office. You know, those types of things are not far off, and, and I would expect uh, to see those on the market in the next, uh, you know, coming years. That's cool. I did see the Alexa demo, actually, now that you mentioned it. Is there a place where people can go if they want to kind of check that out and play around with that? Is there a place people can if, go? If they're interested, send me an email because we can, we can get uh, you access to that as part of the customer testing we're doing. Cool. Great. And your info is here as well. Um, great. Well, thank you, Jeff. Dan, what, any final comments uh, here for our, our, our audience, final thoughts? Oh, gee, I don't know. I, uh, I think it's uh, it's really exciting time, and um, even if you haven't learned a ton of a lot about this yet and you're just kind of checking this, checking out, trying to – there's a it, it's a great opportunity particularly to merge your legal skills with some of these techni technical skills. And in law, you don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to – outrun the others and most people aren't that technical in law so it's you don't have to do that much to, to, to distinguish yourself that's the story of my life well thank you um again to both you both have been pioneers and but that's a great closing thought you know we definitely we sometimes talk about legal analytics giving different uh, law firms a competitive advantage or different companies a competitive advantage but you're right it also i think we're still at the point where having any of these kind of technical skills <coughs> gives individual lawyers for sure a competitive advantage. So thanks for all you're doing to train the next generation as well as the thoughts you've given us uh, here today for this generation um, of attorneys. And want to thank both of you. It's been a great year of webcasts. So I want to thank the team at Lex Machina for helping us produce these. They're all available online. So you can check out some past ones if you'd like. And thank you all for the uh, great questions and have a happy holidays and great new year. Thanks a lot. Thank you.